0: Listener Production. Hi, I'm Nat Kringudis, And I'm Cecilia Ramsdow. Welcome to The Wellness Collective, a podcast where we invite you to be part of our wellness community to share, learn and live better.
1: Here we are with a new episode of The Wellness Collective. Today we're talking with Casey and Dr Christy, two authors of a new book called Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. We talk about micro moments and how these small moments help to contribute to our self-belief as we grow. We also discuss how to answer our kids' questions with better facts and keeping it more real. We talk about the fat chat and how this is actually traditionally how women have bonded. We talk about consent for young women and, of course, a whole lot more. Here's this next episode of The Wellness Collective.
0: Hello. Hi. I like what you're wearing. Oh, actually, we're matching. Oh (laughs) no, No one can see us unless you're watching us on the video, but I just sat down and looked
1: at us. I was like, oh, that's nice. Oh, we do. Black is the new black. We look like we're matching. Well, sometimes (sighs) you dress to feel good and black's always
0: a fallback. I don't know if that's a good idea,
1: but it works with my colourings. It works
0: with your colourings and it works with our discussion today as well because what you're wearing is – it d- depends on your mood and yeah, your, the way you, you feel. feel. Yeah. And this morning I got up and I was like, oh, I don't know, went through three different outfits. Outfits, yeah. ended a few up, changes. Yeah. And ended up in my skinny jeans. Yes. Which I can only wear on a day where I'm kind of feeling a bit skinnier. Right. Because I have a bit of a muffin top with them, right? Right. Which some days is okay, yeah. and other days I'm like, I just have not feeling this. No, I was this. sitting on an interview the <laughs> other day,
1: and I said, "Well, no one can see this, but the top bottom of my pants is actually undone right now
0: because I'm feeling really uncomfortable." Oh. yeah. There you go. Yeah. So that brings us to our guests, <laughs> because we're here to talk about the way we, um, well, the way that we look at ourselves and talk about ourselves and our body and our and the way pre- we present. Welcome to the Wellness Collective.
2: I'm Casey Edwards.
3: I'm Chris Scanlon.
2: And we're the authors of Raising Girls Who Like Themselves. The title itself
1: just is so necessary and exciting (laughs) to talk about. And um, both Cecilia and I have a daughter. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm in the trenches of a teenage teenager, so that's always, you know, fun times. I've got the
0: tweenager. I know. Oh, the attitude. Oh, yes. 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 And the hot and coldness of that. You never know what you're going to get. No. Oh, everything I do is embarrassing. I'm actually relishing that. Though. I love that part. But this is what we're here to talk to you about. Okay, so you've written this book. How can you help us with this situation with our girls? Well, why did you write the book? I yeah, think maybe actually, that's where we
1: would start. True, because why I, is always You good. just woke up one day and go, hang on a minute. We know someone that doesn't like themselves. We need to write a book.
2: <laughs> yeah, and that, that person was me. Um <laughs> So when we realised we were having a daughter and we, we talked about parenting and what sort of parents we wanted to be, it reminded me of growing up myself. And I grew up not liking myself very much. I had every external marker of success. You know, I was bright and I was articulate and precocious, but inside I always felt like I was not good enough, like I was never enough. And as I became, as I grew into a woman, I realised that it wasn't just me. You know, so many of my friends and our mothers also feel like this. And I I suppose what we realised together was that this is a cycle, you know, it's passed down through generations of girls growing up not feeling good enough. And if we wanted our daughter to not feel like that, to genuinely know who she was and like herself, then we needed to parent differently. We needed to work out what has been going wrong in in raising girls and what we needed to do to break the cycle.
1: I love that you've said this because I think,
2: I mean, obviously it's
1: it's a generational what's been passed down to us. I know even growing up, mum used to say things like, not to not be confident, but don't be over the top. Like, Nat, could you just calm it down a bit? Like, <laughs> it's a bit too much. and. I feel like that's where a lot of this comes from. Boldness of girls was something that I grew up that it wasn't quite acceptable. Like it was a little bit too much. You had to tone yourself down. Have you found that that's where the, like that there is this cycle and especially for obviously girls, you kind of got to just be a step behind, tone it down a little bit.
2: What we found was that there's all these little micro moments in parenting girls where we actually train them to too much about what other people think and become hyper aware of how they're being perceived and not taking up too much space and always being nice and always making sure that everyone else around them is happy, which is an impossible goal. Mm. Um, And so what we realised through our research was that to raise a girl who likes themselves isn't this big momentous occasion. It's not a huge intervention. It's looking at the little micro moments and reversing them unpicking them so for example madonna king in her book teenager which which came out early this year and she interviewed 500 girls and what happens is when girls become 10 suddenly they are crippled by what other people think about them and parents go, I don't know where this came from, but in many respects, we we've been training them for this their whole lives, and so that's what we really try to do in our book: is look at all those micro moments and look at ways that small tweaks that we can do in our parenting, so that girls don't grow up insecure and feeling like they need to be small and please everyone around themselves.
3: It's also with boys too; so they don't get we don't get the same messages, no. or if we are told to tone it down, it's you kind of, that's almost a provocation to do even more, to go over the top. And then that's kind of accepted and actually slyly celebrated. Oh, you know, that's him being him. And it's kind of acceptable. We kind of, and we we implicitly encourage it in boys. It's allowed um and you see it in the workplace too you know a, a, a bloke acts in a particular way and he's being assertive yes a woman does exactly the same thing she's being bossy and you, the language that we use um you know to describe exactly the same behavior same situation uh, is quite telling
0: i feel quite blessed well we both actually have a boy and a girl but i feel blessed for many reasons but Having one of each gender, I feel like those gender stereotypes aren't as prevalent in our house as they might be otherwise. Um, there's never been that's a boy's thing to do, that's a girl's thing to do. There's never been that's a boy's toy, that's a girl's toy. Because it's all available, it's always just been do what you want.
1: Right. What's interesting is my latest book I wrote for the teenage me. So it's, you know, it's teaching young girls how to understand their sexual and reproductive health. And I wrote that because I never had that book. And what I found, and just to talk to what you've just said, is that for girls going through, especially puberty, it's a really serious time very quickly because we Mm. don't have these organic conversations as we're growing up. It's just a bombshell that's dropped at around the age of 13 when you look like you're about to go through puberty and get a period (laughs) because the conversation is there because why? We don't want them to fall pregnant. Whereas it's a a much lighter conversation for boys because still the responsibility of pregnancy still comes back to us as women to somewhat protect ourselves. And exactly what you said I found in my research was that and, and observation was it's a fun time for boys, not fun as in, you know, it, it's a, definitely there's more encouragement of self-exploration and, you know, I never forget overhearing parents talking and laughing about boys going through puberty and how they had wet dreams or, you know, if if they were for whatever reason being inappropriate, they'd send them to the rooms to sort themselves out and figure it, figure it out for yourself and everyone would laugh about it. But we don't do that with girls. It's not funny. It's actually really <laughs> intense. And I feel like part of the problem is, the, the conversation doesn't happen early enough we don't instill this in girls early enough and therefore it is this time where it life's really serious really quickly
2: and it's preceded by a decade of shame in mm. in many cases you know in many households we still don't use the correct terminology for body parts for genitals and it's like if a girl really owns her body she has to own all of it and you can't really own your body if you can't even name it. Um, so that's one of the things that that we write about. You know, we need to use correct terminology for genitalia. It, You know, it, we need to talk about our vaginas the same way as we talk about arms and legs. You know, they're, they're part of our bodies.
1: Yeah, 100%. And this is something that I think you're right, but this conversation I think does start early in life and I, I think a lot of us are embarrassed to have the conversations. like like saying front bum. <laughs>
2: Front bottom and back bottom. <laughs> that's what I say I, in the shower. I'm like, well, I, I
0: feel like in that situation, yeah, we've talked about penises and vaginas, but w- when you're in the shower, I don't want to say to her, wash your vagina. It feels too specific. I'm like, just wash your front bum, wash your back bum.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, that's fine. But I think also that there does come times where you do yeah, Absolutely. start to talk about it. It needs to be age appropriate as well. And but I think it also, I concept. always
0: think too, though, that making stuff not taboo is the key. 100%. You know, like being open if your kid comes to you with a question that you don't try and brush it under the carpet, that you actually give them the facts.
1: 100%. You know,
0: and i found myself yeah. in some very sticky situations where I'm like, oh, I'm describing a situation here about a mass shooting or something and I'm like, nah, nah, nah. But I think I just try and keep it to what the basic information is and try to keep your own bias out of it somehow, which is really hard as a parent, isn't it?
3: But if they've asked the question, that's the thing. If they have asked the question, if they uh, have to a twig to something in their, the world around them that enough to ask the question, then I think you need to give an answer and you need to give it an age appropriate answer, definitely. But you need to give an answer and you need to give a factual answer.
2: Yeah, I think we make the mistake of thinking that ignorance is the same as innocence. Mm. And also kids aren't attached
1: to the emotion around it. They haven't had that experience. So, (laughs) you know, if, if your child comes and asks you, hey, how did I get into your stomach? You know, as a mum, how did mummy? How did I get in your tummy? And we say, "Oh, the doctor put you there," which might be true. You might have had yeah. sister conception, and that's you know f- absolutely fine. Um, but but also, you know, the stork delivered you. That's a personal <laughs> favourite. It's like we're setting up. We're <laughs> setting up lies that we have to unravel at some point. And kids aren't attached to the emotion of a sexual encounter. They well, they hopefully aren't. Um, But, you know, we are as adults, so we get embarrassed about it.
0: They're not embarrassed. They're just asking. They're just curious. They're just (laughs) asking a question. Can I just say, my kid said to me just recently, I think it was the younger one, the girl, she goes, I've been thinking about Father Christmas. I think it's actually a bit creepy. He's a guy that you don't know who watches what you do and decides whether you've been good or not and whether you should get presents. I think that's kind of creepy. Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) It's it's not Christmas. I can't have this conversation. (laughs) It
2: shows you've done a great job with the whole stranger danger education. Absolutely. Absolutely. That's true.
0: Hey, um, let's talk about your article that you wrote um, a while back, which is called When Your Mother Says She's Fat. And I, was, I read this and I loved it because I think it, this is a really interesting thing. Tell us about that article, what you wrote in it, and how uh, that sort of shaped you as well.
2: Yeah, so this was a letter that I wrote for my mum for Mother's Day. It was an open letter and it was about her hatred of her body that my mum has hated her body her whole life. She's been on every diet imaginable. And I grew up with, you know, the next diet that mum was going to go on that was going to change her life. You know, she was waiting for her thin life to start. Mm. And this was absolutely the pervasive message of my childhood And because mum said she was fat and that she was no good because of it and she was continually trying to change herself and I looked at my mum and thought, well, I look like you, I'm going to grow up like you. I also grew up with intolerable body hatred and it's taken me a lot of years as an adult to unpick that and it really has affected parts of my life, this continual hatred and insecurity of my body. So my letter to my mum was that I understand why you did that because you were raised to hate your body too, the way grandma was raised to hate her body. And I'm sorry that I didn't help you through that because I remember thinking, well, it was it's your fault you're fat. You shouldn't eat so much because that's what my dad said. And as an adult, I looked back with different eyes and thought it's really hard to grow up in a world that tells mm. you that your beauty is the most important thing and then def- at the same time it defines a standard of beauty that you can never reach. And so my letter to my mum was, I understand where this is coming from, but I really don't want my girls to grow up in with the pain that we had mm. and that she grew up with. And so it was a letter to ask her to stop with the body hatred in front of my girls. You know, it, I hoped that she, it would help her realize that she was loved just the way she was and mm. she didn't need to be a thin person to be valued. It turns out that that hope was too ambitious and my mum is now in her 70s and she's still dieting and she's still trying to be waiting for her thin life to start. But what the letter did do was make her stop the constant conversation about weight and beauty in front of my girls. I just didn't want them to grow up that it's Thinking that it is normal for girls and women to continually police each other's body and judge our worth based on our weight, and so that letter actually got shared over ten million times. Wow! It went viral. So I think a lot of a lot of girls and women grow up feeling like they're not good enough based on their body, Mm. and that we really feel like you know it 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 stops with us. You know, what I said to myself is my girls are not going to learn the language. Which of body hatred from
1: me. Mm. I think it's interesting too because I do feel like these this generation there is changes. We're seeing it, right? They're not. They've got more education. They've got. They're smarter. They're more confident. They've, they're already all these things. We've already seen that in the way that they, you know, and even research. I know when I was again writing my book, that was the what was the research was coming through. This generation are very smart and they're very. Um, Responsible. So I think it's a perfect time for us to continue to create this. Obviously, the conversations are there. We know that this is important. This is the next step in that um, to being able to do it. But obviously, it starts with us, as you're mm. saying. And there's definitely women listening going, Yeah, but w- okay, you're telling me I need to stop that. And I need to stop that, not just for my daughter, but for myself as well, <laughs> because that's no way to live my
0: life. I started this by talking about my muffin top and my jeans. <laughs> <laughs>
1: but, but. Exactly, but we don't. No, just, no, but I don't well, care. Don't, you know, like totally, I'm sharing it
0: with the world.
1: Totally, but we've got it. it really does rely on some level of self awareness. How do mm. we get that awareness ourselves? If we don't actually know, I think that would be a lot of. I think a lot of people are oblivious, and I'm probably oblivious to certain things too. But I think definitely, how do we wake up? Like, what do
2: what do we do? Well, first of all, we are trained to talk like this. You know, could you imagine a couple of blokes starting a podcast talking about what they didn't like about their bodies, you know? I could, actually. You could? Yeah.
0: I think men actually do think about their bodies, maybe not in the same way as women, but I do think there's a body image thing that men have that's
2: Same, same, but different. It's worse, certainly. You know, Naomi Wolf predicted that. You know, once the the female market got saturated, (laughs) they'd move on to, you know, making men insecure too. But men, it's not core to their identity the way it is to us. You know, what we write about in our book is... A little girl will receive more comments about her appearance and her beauty than everything else combined. If you look at the way the world interacts with her, now that is not the same for boys. They don't grow up believing that their beauty is the most important thing about them. No. They don't grow up being trained that fat chat is the way that women bond with each other. It's really it's hard though because <laughs> I, I,
1: I mean, I'm still conditioned. I will look at. I always tell my son he's handsome, all the time. <laughs> Because I think I'd, he is. I'd say you're a beautiful boy. I'm yeah, like I don't know what I'm putting you Like what? do we say instead? Or do we keep saying that? And we just need to word it in the right way.
3: I think with boys, though, again, it's it's not that it's not said to boys. It is, but it doesn't become this all pervasive yeah. defining feature of them. And I think we often do that with girls, and that is the only thing they ever hear. Whereas boys hear that, and they hear all the other things, and they're kind of, you know, they're not treated as a doll. They're treated as an agent. Whereas I think girls mm. often just get the appearance comments over and over again. And that's where the conversation begins. And unfortunately, that's where it often stops. Yeah. Um, and that's kind of it. And so, yeah, you know, we, and, you know, that's a generalization. Obviously, you know, there there are changes, but often, or, and we've kind of noticed with our two girls, that's the only conversation, that's the line of conversation. And that, it doesn't go anywhere else in appearance. And so, and they're often kind of, you know, a bit confused as if, well, yeah. Yeah, my hair looks nice (laughs) Can we move on? Mm -hmm. It's funny
0: you say that. I had a conversation with a friend of mine the other day who, um, who, she has girls of similar age to mine. And we were talking about how hard it is to have little kids, little girls with decent hair because... They don't want to brush their hair and then it turns into a bird's nest and then it's like a torture session trying to get rid of the bird's nest. So it's this cycle and then you say, all right, well, we'll cut your hair off and then it's like, no, I like my hair. So it goes around, it's this whole big thing. And so you try to give them agency over how they want to look but there's, you know, there's responsibilities that come with having long hair and what have you. So my daughter often looks like a bird's nest and I've given up. I'm like, well, if you're happy, whatever, I don't really care. We'll just deal with the torture when we have to.
3: But I think that's great. Like, you know, our, our youngest recently cut her hair and she not only did she cut her hair, she cut her hair with, with paper scissors, great. blunt paper scissors.
1: Amazing. At
3: night <laughs> in her Surprise. bed mm. with, the, with the light off. <laughs> and so she comes out in the morning and there's hair on the floor. Oh, of course. And I, go, and I see it and I say, who's it? Well, whose hair is this? And I look at a big sister, and not not me, and I look over at our youngest, and I said, "Is this yours?" And he goes, "No, <laughs> no." And I said, "I'm not, I'm not, I'm not angry." You know, she's looking like she's going to get in trouble. I said, "You're not, you're not in trouble. I just want to know your hair's not falling out." And then, of course, I go and look in a bed, and there's a whole lot of hair <laughs> oh, there.
1: Gosh.
3: But our, and I said, "You're not in trouble. It's your hair. You can mm-hmm. do it with it whatever you want with it." So she ended up with a mullet. Because Great. I got, I Everyone know, else has got
0: one. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> Oh, that's the best.
3: And our response to that is it's your hair, your, 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 your choice. So if, you know, if you want to look like that, you, and she said, can I cut my hair again? And we said, okay.
2: Would you like a hairdresser <laughs> to help? Yeah. <laughs> so our rule, which has turned out to be quite controversial when, since our book has come out, is if it's not permanent, and it's not harmful, she gets to decide, yeah. even if it's not our preference. So is it my preference that my daughter has a mullet? No, but it's not my choice. And and we say that to, to our girls. We use that as an example to teach them body autonomy. Mm. It's not what I would choose, but it's not my choice. It's your body, but so you get to decide.
3: Especially if it's not our choice. So that's the other thing, because it's making sure that our girls know that they can make a choice it wouldn't be the choice that we would make, but we still love them. They're still we're not going to yeah, exclude you from the family. Yeah. I have an
1: issue with this. I well, have an issue with this because I hear what you're saying, but I I where <laughs> at some point we're there to guide them, obviously. And if they're making poor choices,
2: especially about their health, then I mean, that's, that's different
0: to cutting your hair.
2: Well, it yeah. is, it, but the rule is if it's not harmful, right? It's not okay, that, well, that makes So the, if it affects guess, their health, yes. then absolutely you intervene. Yeah. But if it's about a preference about mm. how they look. Right. Okay.
1: Sorry. Yes. Because I did, I was reading something recently and, and I, I feel like, yeah, there is this fine line. You're right. I guess that's the, the line, isn't it? That if it's not harmful. Yeah. Um, Because we do, I feel like we do still have a responsibility to steer them in a direction.
0: Yeah. You know. Of course. They're not going to let them get a tattoo.
2: No, right. (laughs) And getting back to where we started in this interview about girls worrying about what other people think, you know, every time we tell a girl you need to brush your hair, we're uh, implicitly teaching them to care what other people think.
0: Uh, Yeah, but see, I reckon it's also just avoiding the torture.
3: (laughs) She has to live with the consequences then. That's
0: right. Well, it's true. (laughs) You know, it's about teaching you shouldn't
1: we be teaching them also to, I mean, obviously yes, to do what they feel to be right, (laughs) but at the same time to put pride into how they feel with that as well. Like how do we, there's all just fine lines here. I feel like there's a lot (laughs) of lines.
2: Their pride (laughs) is maybe different from your pride. Sure, sure. Absolutely. And so the thing is, a, a girl at the moment, when you're guiding your children, when our children are young, we are doing it with their best interests at heart. We're doing it with love and concern. But Once they hit teenage years, we're not the most influential voice anymore. And our voices are going to be replaced by people who don't have their best interests at heart very often. So therefore, it is far more important that they learn that they get to decide about their bodies, they get to make unpopular choices and will still be loved and accepted. So when they're in a position when they have to make that decision. They will have practiced it.
0: Yeah, I love that. And I that. think
2: that that lesson is far more important than them wearing something you don't like mm. on a particular occasion. Yep. no, I think it's
0: great. And also, I think it's interesting that my my daughter and I we have very different taste. You know, the clothes she picks, I'm like, oh, <laughs> tie dye again. Okay, yeah. but you know, I that's awful. But at the same time, I'm like, well, it doesn't really matter because I I feel like giving her that seeing the confidence that she has when she's wearing the ugly tie-dye T-shirt that she really likes, I'm like, that's that's all that matters, really, the tie-dyes. Oh, yeah. I, let me, I
1: mean, there's stuff like that. Yeah. I absolutely let Livy go. I have to, like, yes, because I also remember being the teenager that used of to course. have, like, the, the hairstyle that. Well, I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> Wild. <laughs> oh, but, you know, she's at that age and she's like she has this middle part and it's all really slicked down and I'm like. <laughs> that's awful. Okay, well, that's <laughs> what you want to do today. No problem. So I get it. I yeah, get yeah. that that part of it and I love that she's got the confidence to go and do yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. She'll um, look back
0: on the photos and cringe. We've and all done that. We have. Hey, um, moving on to the idea of, you know, giving them the autonomy to make decisions that they feel good about. I really like the fact that you talk about um, letting them say no when it comes to things like give Auntie Beryl a kiss um, because I have a daughter who's quite shy and, and most of the time she will defer to me for a conversation. If an adult she doesn't know speaks to her, she just looks at me like, can you take over? <laughs> <laughs> and people often think I'm I'm being, you know, like dominant And I'm like, she just, it takes a while for her to trust people and this is our system. So if you don't like it, bad luck. But I love that you talk about that because I think sometimes people put a lot of pressure on their children to, you know, hug people, kiss people, move into an area they're not comfortable with. And I don't, personally, I'd I'd always go, oh, just let them be. Mm.
3: I think that's a huge part of it and I think this is kind of, you know, if we talk about, you know, when, when do we actually introduce some adult concepts to kids? This is where, you know, we've had a whole national conversation around consent, for example.
0: Mm, yeah.
3: And a lot there's been some really, you know, um, surprising and alarming things that have come out of that. So, you know, the first time that young women have a conversation around consent is 16, 17-year-old. Yeah. And our view on that is that's way too late. It needs to start a lot a lot earlier. But it needs to start in an age-appropriate way. And this is one example of that where um, you know, we've again, this is where we kind of we say one thing and then we teach our girls the opposite. We say that, no, you actually have to show affection. You have to do that emotional labour to make other people around you feel okay and you don't really get a choice about that. It's kind of important. And this is not a question of affection because kids are, can, will be affectionate, but they need to kind of work out who you are. Like, our, for example, our youngest is often a bit standoffish to, to um, begin with. And until she warms up to someone mm. and she'll kind of work them out and then she'll be, you know, a- a- affectionate as anything. But she's got to work that out. And you've got to allow her to do that rather than just pushing into that because you're saying, no, no, you don't get a choice. Yeah. Um, and, yeah. you know, you if it's going to make unpe- other people feel uncomfortable, particularly in social situations, then you absolutely have to go and, you know, conform to that social rule. Well, the lesson there is for later in life you have to, you know, comport your body in such yep. a way to make other people feel comfortable. And that's a terrible lesson you <laughs> yeah, know, for, for, for girls particularly to learn. So we, this is where we think this is an opportunity in an age-appropriate way to teach um, a basic lesson about kind of saying no and being other people feeling uncomfortable with that cho- choice, that decision, but that's okay. And there's, a, there's something for dads here too, um, you know, particularly in play, when a little girl says stop, then you stop. Mm. And she might wonder, why'd you stop? You know, when you're tickling and you can say, well, cause you said stop and cause that was important, you know, so I, I do what you tell me. Um, so kind of, it's kind of finding those, again, those little moments in social situations, to teach some bigger concepts which will come in, you know, they'll we'll attach terms like consent to them later on.
2: Yeah. Because we know, the research is clear, that teenage girls are grossly underprepared for enforcing their own boundaries. We've seen it through, I did my own research, I wrote an article about um, girls having oral sex. And all these girls that I interviewed, it was very normal. They said, this. these are 14 and 15 year old girls. And they said they couldn't think of a friend who wasn't giving blowjobs. And I said, do you, do you like it? <laughs> because, you know, a better hobby, I'm all lady. open, you know, consent, fine. If everyone's happy, that's great. But I, they said, no, they didn't. And I was like, well, why do you do it? And because that's what you do. You know, they they didn't realise that they had an option to say no. And I had this conversation with a girl saying, you know, you don't have to do it. Just because he wants you to, you don't have to do it. And she actually cried during the interview because she didn't know that she could say no. Wow. And we know from um, girls sending nudes, 97% of the girls who send nude photos of themselves feel like they have to do it. And so we are so harsh on teenage girls thinking, you know, why don't they just make the right decision? But in many cases, through their whole life, they have been taught that they have to do things with their body to make other people feel okay, so people get very upset with us when we have this conversation. They think we're saying that grandma is a predator, and we're not at all. <laughs> what we're saying is that girls need a safe place to be able to practise enforcing their boundaries. And most adult women know themselves, sometimes it's really hard to do that. It um, is. And, you know, you can't expect them to be able to do that if they've never give, been given the opportunity to practise. Mm. Mm. I um have
1: to say that the current... um. Education around this at schools is much better than it's ever been. Teaching them body awareness, what's theirs, what's someone else's. I'm We never had that and it's the no. first that I've seen. Um, It'd it be so specific about what is acceptable and what isn't. So I think I love this conversation. I do think it is getting better and there is more awareness for from grade four, they're teaching it at school now. Like if it's, if A, you you can say no, but also B, what's yours and what's somebody else's and, and it's all very age appropriate. So that's, it's a, it's moving
0: in a positive direction, I think, which is so important. The other good thing about learning about consent is having an older brother. My daughter just says stop, 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 and then punches. So you know, if it doesn't go her way, she's learned that the physicality is on her side, which often is the problem. I'm mm-hmm. like, oh god, here we go again. But yes, it's uh, it is interesting that the environment that you grow up in definitely does shape, you know, what you what, what you encounter and mm. um, how it's treated and and everything. So yeah, I think awareness for these things, especially that one, I find that one really curious that people still try to make their children be affectionate when they don't want to. I know, yeah. Only
2: 2021, and it still seems to be controversial to yeah. say that a girl gets to decide who she will be intimate with. Mm. Like, I actually find that really distressing because all the backlash we've got from our book in saying that, it's like, really? Like, we're still here, are we?
3: But the other thing is <laughs> that this, it, is, it is, that actually provokes interesting conversations too within families. It's like, I've never really thought about it that way. Hmm. You know, and so we've also had that feedback too where, you know, people have, it hasn't been on their radar at all and hmm. you raise it and suddenly it's a, you know, it's a start of a conversation. Yeah. And I, I, I think as long as that conversation continues, yeah. you know, we're going the wrong direction. We
2: can help our kids with alternatives. So when they're yeah. in that situation and someone asks them for a kiss, we can jump in with how about a high five or what about a fist bump? Um, so we're helping them learn to still be polite and adhere to social rituals, mm. but at the same time, maintain their own boundaries. Absolutely.
0: Mm. We had some friends over, um, just recently. And as they were leaving, the little girl was, she went to say goodbye to my daughter. My daughter was like, yeah, see ya. <laughs> and they're quite good friends. So I said to her, would you like a hug? Are you a hugger? And she went, mm-hmm. I said, here you go. And I gave her a hug, but I was like, uh, she was left hanging. By my- <laughs> 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 <Or kid. laughs> so that was the alternative. I was like, are you a hugger? Do you need a hug? Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm here if you want one, but don't mm-hmm. feel obliged. It's mm-hmm.
1: okay. It's hard, isn't it? Yeah. That does make it hard. It's quite funny. I mean, it's difficult, I think, when there's also some type of emotion, again, attached to it. I know and uh, you said the idea of rituals and I think my husband's Greek so it's just an automatic kiss on the cheek and walk off but it's not affectionate it's just a gesture (laughs) and it's quite different so I think part of the the awkwardness is that yeah Mm. I mean there's cultural stuff and then we've tapped out of cultural stuff and kind of half in half out and don't know and then I feel like that I mean, there's many ways that there's also inappropriate activity that goes on, but it's so benign. A kiss hello in Greek culture is so benign that it, it's kind of just what you do and you keep walking. So mm. it's very, it's funny. I've never really thought about it before.
2: Uh, we've heard from, like, aunts and uncles who say they actually don't want the kiss. <laughs> you know, ah. When someone <laughs> says go and kiss go and kiss your auntie or uncle, they are reading the kids' discomfort. And they don't want to be part of it, but yeah. they feel like, you know, they have to adhere to the ritual. But isn't that so funny too
0: that the adult can't go, no,
2: you don't need to kiss me. It's okay. just yeah. <laughs> to show even adults have trouble enforcing their own boundaries. Mm. Uh-huh.
3: That's why for for, the, for those of us who are non-huggers, COVID and social distancing Well, that's what I
2: was going to say. It's
3: like, oh, now I get—I don't have to engage in this. I don't have to pretend to do it.
0: Yeah, it was really hard for the huggers, but really great for the non-huggers. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So
1: let our listeners know where they might be able to get their hands on a copy of Raising Girls Who Like Themselves.
2: It's available at all good bookstores. You can get it in um, audiobook, ebook or in hard copy. And also, if you go to our website, we actually have a free webinar where we go through the the main points of our book. So anyone can sign up to that. So RaisingGirlsWhoLikeThemselves.com. If you go there, you can register and see the webinar where we cover the seven pillars that every girl who likes herself must have Mm -hmm. and how to instill those in your daughter. Awesome. Yeah,
0: awesome. I think sometimes the... The boys, they're a whole other category that, that we have to cover off soon as well. Oh, yeah, I know. Yes. Same, same but different. Yes, definitely. Anyway, thanks so much for joining us today. All the best with the book. Go forward and make waves. I like it. Thanks, guys. <laughs> thanks for having us on. It's been a pleasure to talk to you. <laughs> Great. Two people after
1: my own heart, I feel. Yeah, you found like your people. I've, I know, I know. Mm. Would you like a hug? <laughs> 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 um, but, you know, just to change topics. Yeah, go on. We don't have any reviews to read and that doesn't <laughs> make me feel very happy. <laughs> I like reviews and yep. I like ratings. So you please, like hugs, you like reviews. We'd love to know what you thought of this episode, whether yeah. it was a favourite, you want more of this. Yeah. Um, of course, don't forget to follow us over on Instagram, the Wellness Collective Podcast. I know, that's and where it all happens. I like it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Mm. There's a there's a whole lot of entertainment that goes on over there and, you
0: know, take a happy snap of where you're listening to us and make sure, oh, sure yes. you send it in. Good reminder to do that. We haven't yeah. had one of those for a little while and we do like to see where you are and I love it when we you know we get messages from our friends in America and I think how cool that our ramblings are entertaining someone's ears (laughs) all the way over there. Anyway until next time we hope this episode has left you feeling happier, healthier and better.
2: Listener